0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot
1: Hello, my dark darlings. I'm Markeia, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those just voyaging into the dark with us for the first time, welcome. We are Taught. To try to ignore the little things that get on our nerves and bug us. Like a noisy neighbor, a pesky sibling, or even a little shoe fly. But when something really gnaws at you, getting under your skin, you must address it. Or it could end up being the death of you. First, death from deep within. Then, a sleepover-turned-terrible-nightmare, followed by a neighbor's kindness that kills. Finally, in our featured story, a deadly bite. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week. And of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast, along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. If you'd like to support something scary, then consider joining our Patreon. As a patron, not only can you help the show and see ad-free episodes, but you can also be a part of the horror and hear your name featured in one of our podcasts or weekly video stories. Visit Patreon.com/snarled. So, want to hear something scary? Horrors under the skin. When a family hides dark secrets, it's often because the reality is too horrifying to bear. Like in this story inspired by Kayla. When I was a little girl, I used to garden with my mom. We only had one rule, always wear gloves. The reason for this is when my grandma was the same age as my mother was, 37, she died from systemic anaphylaxis due to an allergic reaction to a garden spider bite. My mother never got to say goodbye or see her mother's body because of the ravages of the reaction to my grandma. The family decided to cremate her immediately. Ever since, my mother and everyone else on her side of the family wore gloves when gardening, since allergies are often inherited. One day, while gardening, I looked up gleefully to show my mom the worms I had collected, but when my eyes met hers, they were filled with fear. My heart stopped. Her face had gone pale. She had taken off her gloves briefly to grab her water bottle, and sitting on the back of her hand was a blood-red spider. I reached out, hoping to scoop it up into my still-gloved hands, but it was too late. The spider bit her. Should we go to the hospital? My dad asked frantically when we went inside, but my mother said that there was nothing we could do. She was having the same reaction my grandma did years ago. My mom just wanted to spend her last moments at home. My mother tearfully told me goodbye and sent me to bed. I wanted to stay with her, but she said it wasn't safe for me. As I cried in my room, I heard a low moan coming from my parents' bedroom that turned into A series of petrified groans of fear. This was followed by a fit of painful sneezing, and then silence. Until the screaming started. I'll never forget the sound of my dying mother shrieking as some mysterious, horrible fate befell her. Eventually, the screams died down into pitiful whimpers before finally coming to an end. According to the official report, she died, like my grandma, of systemic anaphylaxis. But I was old enough to know that allergies, even severe ones, didn't cause people to scream the way my mother did that night. I never gardened again, and as I grew older, I avoided the outdoors altogether. But as I approached the age when my mother and grandmother had met their death, I was consumed by a growing sense of dread and became a recluse. I put myself under strict quarantine. My friends and family thought I was crazy, but I knew if I could just somehow survive past the age my mother and grandmother died, that I would be okay. My plan worked up until the day before my 38th birthday. I began to undress for my shower when I felt a sharp sting suddenly erupt on my right foot. I looked down just in time to see a little red spider that looked exactly like the one that had bitten my mother years ago. I had been so careful, but somehow the red spider still found me. I stood in the bathroom and tried to calm myself and prayed I did not inherit the same allergy. Minutes passed, and I started to regret all those months I spent alone and isolated from everyone I loved. Suddenly, I let out a mighty sneeze in the sink. Staring back at me, covered in mucus, was another little red spider. I jabbed a finger up my nostril to see if anything else was up there. I felt a prick. When I pulled it out, I noticed a raised red bump with a two-pronged puncture wound. A lump of fear rose in my throat. Except it wasn't fear at all. There was something moving inside my throat. Hacking and coughing, trying to clear my airways. I took out my phone and turned on the flashlight, pointing it down my throat. I couldn't see anything in the mirror, so I took a picture with my cell inside my mouth with the flash on. I wish I hadn't. A mass of legs rose from my throat just behind my tongue. I tried to scream, but that only made the legs writhe inside me. I hacked and coughed into the sink, until the mass in the back of my throat came free. Red spiders scurried away from the running water in my sink. I looked up at the mirror and became horrified at my reflection. Red blotches covered my skin. As I looked closer, I realized every single pore was clogged and inflamed. My skin began to pulsate, as if my pores were breathing. Slowly, spiderlings started to emerge from beneath the skin of my face crawling out of my pores and into my nose, mouth, eyes, and ears where they continued to bite me. I screamed and stumbled backward and fell to the floor. More red splotches appeared all over me. They throbbed and burned until they blistered and burst, releasing more of the tiny red spiders. I felt tears rise, but realized they were not tears at all. Long spindly legs pushed out of my tear ducts and my eyes began to bleed. I should have called an ambulance, but it was too late. The spiders were spilling out from me onto the keyboard as I typed this, my dear daughter, and I can feel more hatching inside me. I'm sure that soon I'll be reduced to nothing more than millions of spiders in a suit of flesh that used to belong to a human being. I hope this will help you understand my absence from you and your sister's lives and the unfortunate curse that plagues our family. Just know that once you reach the age of 37, you must always be on guard. Because if you ever see a red spider, then it's already too late. Thank you so much, Kayla, for inspiring this positively skin-crawling tale. How are you doing, listener? Are you scratching your skin? Is there anything that you're allergic to, like spiders? Can you handle the sight of them? What would you do if they
0: were crawling all over your skin? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well.
1: sleepovers are a time when you get to gossip with friends eat all the snacks you can find and tell scary stories but what happens when the scary story becomes reality like in this story inspired by Max Emery was excited to go to her best friend Gianna's sleepover she was ready to stay up all night gossiping and laughing with her friends there was only one catch, however. She had to drag her bratty little sister, Xanda along with her. Xanda made it her life's mission to get her older sister in trouble by tattling on her whenever possible. The moment Emery and Xanda arrived, they were greeted by Gianna, their friend Gabby, and Gianna's sweet grandmother, Nona. Nona's house was old and worn down and smelled of mothballs. The floors creaked and the lights flickered. Emery was more than a little creeped out by the house, but her excitement for the sleepover outweighed those feelings. Gianna showed Emery and her sister which room they would all sleep in that night, and it was even creepier. The room was filled with Nona's porcelain dolls. Emery was secretly scared of dolls like this, And one doll in particular had eyes that seemed to follow her in the room. When Emery pointed it out, Gianna got very serious and told the girls that this particular doll was named Beth. She explained that Nona claimed this doll once belonged to a girl who died tragically after having a fight with her older brother. The girl tried to set his room on fire, but it ended up spreading and killed her and her entire family. The only thing that remained was this doll. Xanda laughed at the story, calling it ridiculous, but Emery was freaked out. Xanda knew about Emery's secret fear of dolls and took it upon herself to tell everyone in the house. Before Emery could retaliate, the doorbell rang and the smell of pizza filled the house. The tension subsided. Nighttime came quickly, and they had played all of the board games Gianna owned. They were about to put on a movie when Gabby took out a Ouija board from her sleeping bag. Emery, Gianna, and Gabby sat in a circle and asked the Ouija board questions while Zanda played with the dolls instead. Gianna asked the Ouija board who Emery was going to kiss this summer, the Ouija board spelled out one word, Brandon. The girls laughed with excitement until Xanda ruined it by tattling on her sister and claiming she read in Emery's diary that she was obsessed with Brandon. Xanda then accused her sister of pushing the planchet on the Ouija board. Emory's face turned bright red as the other girls laughed at her. She was humiliated by her obnoxious sister yet again. Suddenly, The lights in the room went dark, and the only noise that could be heard was the dragging of the planchette on the Ouija board, but no one was touching it. Gianna grabbed a flashlight and pointed it at the Ouija board. The girls watched in horror as the wooden pointer spelled out in repetition, Beth, Beth, Beth. Everyone screamed and ran out of the room. As they stumbled into the hallway, Emery noticed that her sister wasn't with them. Emery went back into the room and found Xanda sitting on the corner of the bed holding the doll, Beth. Both the doll and Xanda burst into flames. Xanda was unfazed by the fire and stared with wide eyes into the eyes of the doll as her skin began to melt off her flesh. Smoke filled the room, and Emery choked for air as her friends pulled her out of the inferno. Emery and her friends scrambled to find something to put the fire out and somehow save Xanda. They returned to the room with a bucket of water, only to find... Xanda, happily sitting on the bed with the doll. No flames in sight. Xanda was unharmed. Emery, Gianna, and Gabby couldn't explain what happened and Xanda had no idea what they were talking about. She merely laughed at them and called them crazy. After the incident, everyone decided to call their parents and go home early. While Xanda and Emery packed their bags to leave, Emery noticed that her sister seemed different. She was nicer. As Emery left the room, she took one last look at the doll, Beth she saw a real tear on her cheek, as if the doll was crying for help. She looked at her sister staring at her and expected to be teased once again about her own fear of dolls. Instead, Xanda smiled at her, hugged her warmly, and skipped down the hall. Emery looked back at the crying doll Beth and then decided to go home with her new cheery little sister. Thank you so much, Max, for inspiring this horror for us. Are you the pesky sibling? Do you tend to really enjoy needling your other siblings? Or maybe you do have a good relationship with them. How far would you go to save them? How far Do you think they would go to save you after you've annoyed them? Being a good neighbor is important, especially when people live so close to each other in their apartments. A noisy neighbor can make you miserable. Most people will overlook these transgressions, but others are far less forgiving. Like in this story, inspired by Casper. And thank you to our patron, Alfonso, whose name we use in this story. Alfonso had just moved into his humble studio apartment. An aspiring musician, he liked to practice guitar each morning when he woke. For him, music wasn't just an activity. It was an escape. But unfortunately for Alfonso, he wasn't the only person around. On his first morning in the apartment, five minutes after he began to play, he got a knock at the door. It was his upstairs neighbor, Benny, a man that seemed as old as the place itself. Welcome to the building, Benny said. He extended a hand to introduce himself. He politely asked Alfonso to refrain from playing music so loudly. Lots of elderly and longtime residents reside there, and they like it peaceful. An embarrassed, Alfonso hastily nodded and shut the door. As Alfonso ran his day's errands, his agreeability turned to indignation. He felt insulted. This was his livelihood, he told himself. He had to practice because he had a gig coming up. And who was that guy telling him what he can and can't do? Besides, he thought, If everyone in the building is as old as he says, could they even hear him anyway? Returning from his errands, he saw Benny in the hall. Benny gave Alfonso a congenial wave, which Alfonso coldly walked past. That night, after Alfonso finished his dinner, he took out his guitar and began to play. Sure enough, like clockwork, a knock. Benny again, warm as ever. He asked again if Alfonso could not play his guitar because the walls were so thin. Alfonso noticed behind Benny's politeness there was just a hint of an edge to the man's words. Sorry, man, but I have a performance this week that I have to prepare for, Alfonso explained. Benny asked him again, a bit more insistent. Again, Alfonso refused coldly suggesting that the old man try earplugs. The joke didn't land. Benny tersely smiled and returned to his home. Alfonso began to play again, haltingly at first, but then grew more confident and loud. He knew he should at least try to be polite, but he was utterly entwined with his music. Suddenly... His focus was broken by the sound of loud, crackling TV static. It was coming from above him. Benny's apartment. So Alfonso just played louder. But as the guitar's volume increased, so did the static. He tried to concentrate, but the static became ear-splitting. He sat down his guitar and yelled for his neighbor to be quiet. And like that, the noise stopped. Alfonso sighed, relieved. Maybe he'd made enough noise for one night. Stomach gurgling, he went to the fridge for a snack. But when he opened the refrigerator, he was bombarded with the same deafening static coming from inside the fridge. It caused his vision to blur and the room to spin. He slammed shut the fridge and the noise stopped. He tried to catch his breath, but then... The static ignited yet again. This time, it was everywhere. From below, from above, in the walls. His knees buckled and he gripped his pounding head. Alfonso begged for peace and suddenly, Benny appeared in the middle of his room. As the static crackled, Alfonso profusely apologized. He pleaded once more for quiet. Benny nodded. And with that, It seemed as if all the piercing noise in the world rushed into Alfonso's skull. His nose bled, his eyes sizzled and turned to goo that ran down his cheeks and into his gaping mouth. His body collapsed and revealed a gaping, steaming hole where his head had once sat. The next month, another struggling bachelor moved into the same apartment. After a long day of unloading furniture, The new tenant carried her TV into the building when she passed by a very sweet old man. Welcome to the building, Benny said. Mind not playing that TV too loud? Thank you so much, Casper, for inspiring this apartment-dweller's nightmare. How do you feel, listener? Do you think Alfonso should have been more respectful or was he well within his rights? Should Benny have been more understanding? Do you have any supernatural tales involving your neighbors? Or maybe a tale that was inspired by a neighbor encounter? Email us, scary at snarled.com. <laughs> There's nothing stronger than the bond between a parent and a child. But sometimes that bond becomes complicated and if not addressed, can have terrible consequences. In a village near Japan's Mount Fuji, there lived a teenager named Usumi. She lived under the watchful care of her aunt Fumio, who doted on her endlessly. Every night Usumi stared up at the snowy peak with wonder and terror. It was there that her parents had been lost in a terrible avalanche when she was just a baby. Look away from there, Aunt Femiya warned. It won't do you any good. They concluded with their nightly offerings at their Kamadona, a traditional Shinto family shrine. Usumi bade her aunt good night. That night, as she slept, she heard a sweet, loving whisper. Usami she sprang awake and saw that just outside her window was a beautiful woman she knew instantly it was her mother her mother told her how desperately she wanted to see her but her aunt Famio forbade it usami was confused why would her aunt do that her mother explained that aunt famio was unable to have children of her own and was jealous of her brother's blessings her mother claimed that her aunt killed her own brother, and banished her sister-in-law so she could raise Usumi as her own. Suddenly, Anfamio turned on the lights. What are you doing? It's late. Usumi turned to the window to see her mother was gone. The next day, Usumi couldn't think of anything else. Her mind was clouded with questions, as well as rage at her aunt for lying. At breakfast, She coyly asked Aunt Femio to relay the story of her parents' passing. Her aunt told the same story she always did, that of a tragic avalanche and a child saved. But Aunt Femio's tone betrayed a distinct annoyance. She told Usumi she was tired of talking about it. Her aunt then left for work, but not before placing another offering at their shrine. That night, as her aunt slept, Usumi patiently waited at the window. Sure enough, her mother reappeared. Usumi begged her to come inside. Her mother said she would, but only if Usumi destroyed the family shrine. Usumi didn't understand. Their kamadona was sacred. It contained amulets and keepsakes that protected the house. Poor girl. Aunt Fumio tricked you again. She desecrates our kamadona with curses that trap you here and keep me from entering. Her mother explained. Usumi was furious. Filled with a desire for righteous vengeance, she marched up to their shrine and angrily shoved it over. It splintered and shattered, sending shards of wood and porcelain flying everywhere. Aunt ran into the room and exclaimed, My dear Usumi, what have you done? Just then... All the windows shattered, and every door flung open as a shadow appeared over them. The voice of Usumi's mother thundered. At last! The shadow transformed until towering over niece and aunt was a hideous creature with a human head and a spider's body. Aunt Fimio cried out, Your mother is the Juragumo, an ancient goblin. She made it with your father and killed him. All I ever wanted was to shield you from such danger and tragedy. Usami stood between her mother and her aunt. Her mother beckoned and promised that now they could be together. Aunt Fimio told her that the Jurigumo has no love for anyone. She would consume her daughter piece by piece, just like her father before her. Then her aunt stopped talking. And when Usumi looked at the woman, she found... That she had been impaled by one of her own mother's legs. Her mother spun her dying aunt into a webbed cocoon and then instructed her daughter to come home with her, to her real home on the mountain. At that moment, Usumi was overwhelmed, lied to, traumatized. She had no one anymore, no one except her mother. The Juragumo crawled out of the cottage carrying her webbed-up meal and was followed by Usami. Together, they made their way up Mount Fuji, reunited at last. This week's podcast stories were edited by Markia McCarty, Sarah Kosowitz, and Dennis Culver. Narration by Markia McCarty. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris Art and graphics by Mari Carlson Produced by Hannah Mullen and Markeia McCarty Music by Sapphire Sandalo and Calvin Linderman Executive producer is Gail Gilman